I found happiness through productivity. Typically, when I look at a process, I will spend a lot of time looking for ways to be more efficient at the task. I will spend time automating things that really don't need to be automated. But in this case with AI, it seemed to be really applicable. Next guest, everybody, is someone, this is a kind of an interesting, unusual thing for me, a former student of mine who's gone on to do some big, incredible things. And one of these random reach outs where he's like, hey, Chris, I'm going to be in town. Let's have lunch together. And normally I'm like, yeah, as the introvert, I'm not going to have lunch. <laughs> I'm just going to stay home and eat by myself. But you know what? As a former student, I got to go and meet my former student and see what he's up to. I got to tell you that lunch that we had over at True Food changed a lot of the things I was doing and it's led us to this point here in time. And let me tell you that story and then I'm gonna have my guest introduce himself in just a little bit. So while we're at lunch, show that's his name, says, do you wanna see what I've been working on with AI? And Chris, are you using AI tools? Now, at this point in time, I think it's, uh, let's just pretend it's about a year ago before everybody's talking about AI. But there are enough conversations that are bubbling up to the top where I'm like, yes, I know AI, there's things going on. I'm not ready to dive into it. He shows me some of the tools he's been developing and how he's been able to leverage all of his time working on brands, brand Bibles, strategy guides, all those kinds of things, and automating this very complicated process to make it like just flow. What he asked me to do, and we did this live with his laptop, believe it or not, was just to pull a random company or logo from the internet. I think we happened to pull FedEx. And then he hit a button and within 20 seconds or so, give or take, and it was slow because the internet was a little slow where we were with the Wi-Fi. It generated an entire website. Now you're thinking, yeah, Chris, what's the big deal? Everybody can generate a pretty ugly website. Here's the thing. This website looked and felt and sounded like something that came from FedEx. This was the incredible part. Everything was generated. It pulled the colors, it, it picked the typefaces, it wrote the about page, the philosophy, the team. It, it pulled images, it wrote the, the photography style guide and I was reading through it. And of course I didn't read all, the whole thing, but it was really good. That led me into diving into mid journey, into stable diffusion, and then later on chat GPT. It's all because of show. And if you don't like what I'm doing with AI, you can just blame him because he's the one who <laughs> pushed me over the ledge. And so without further ado, show, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Chris. It's it's truly an honor. I, I remember back at Art Center, I was one of your students, right? I think this was back in like 2009, 2010. Uh, even back then, uh, your teachings really kind of resonated with me. I think it was a storyboarding class at the time. And then I remember those are the toughest uh, critiques. Like typically, um, I went to like an arts boarding school beforehand. So I was really used to kind of BSing my way through critiques. And I knew I couldn't do that with you in your class. <laughs> and then so uh, ever since then, I've, I've been watching your videos. And so it's really, really cool um, opportunity for me. I'm super excited to be working on AI with you. Mm. And then uh, that, that lunch too, I was really excited having that conversation with you at True Foods. Um, at the time, you know, a lot of people didn't respond that well to AI. 
<laughs> Especially like creatives and different things like that. When I, when I first started the company, it was back in like two, late 2017, uh, early 2018. And then uh, I think like OpenAI released GPT-1 back in like 2018, essentially. And it wasn't like a chat and it wasn't really powerful or different things like that. Um, but I was able to do what you saw back then, which was create brand style guides. I also kind of knew uh, from my previous experience working for like big enterprises at BCG that good data really made a big difference. And then a lot of that data kind of looked like brand guidelines to me. They were essentially like principles, guidelines, examples that you can use to train an AI to kind of behave like you. And in, in that way, you can kind of focus on the story, uh, the stuff that we dream about or we do at art school and unfortunately don't get to do as much in practice just because with a tool like AI, essentially. Since then, uh, we worked with agencies, we've worked with enterprises, but what we're really, really excited is teaming up with people like yourself because you have a wealth of incredible data. You're basically um, amazing curators of incredible data that will lead to what we believe the best AI in the world. My mission kind of goes back to uh, Free Art Center, but is to bring beauty and clarity to the world. Um, and right now I see the best way to do that is through AI and partnering with people like yourself. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much, Chris. All right, before we go any deeper, I have to get you to introduce yourself in case people don't know who you are, show. Please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit of story. <laughs> of course. Tell us a little story about yourself. <laughs> Of course, of course. So a, a little bit of a, a background. Um, kind of grew up in Japan. I went to an international school, eventually came to the States. I was really into art. And that was kind of the way that I saw I can bring a beauty and clarity to the world. But it was really cool. I had, uh, had my work in Carnegie Hall and different things like that. And art was really my passion. But I soon kind of found a limit into what I was able to do with art at the time. Um, this was back in high school. I went to a boarding school and went, spent, got to spend like eight to 10 hours doing art. Wow. But I really fell in love with design because of the ability to kind of solve problems for people. And I felt like I can really see kind of tangible impact of my work. And I can do it in kind of a very beautiful way that can ex affect the kind of human experience that I get to enjoy. So I got into design. That's where I got into Art Center. I got to teach and uh, learn from professors like yourself. Ironically, um, I am following in your footsteps. So I have taught some classes at Art Center too. I'm, I'm following every single step. <laughs> 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 so Art Center was fantastic. It was great. But and while I was there, I got to start a company. I think you were aware of that company too. It was called Rareform at the time. Yeah. Where we were repurposing billboards into backpacks, surfboard bags and different things like that. I was always kind of an entrepreneur at heart. My first business was like 12 years old, selling t-shirts like everybody else, right? But Rareform was really the first company where I was a co-founder, it was equity, it was like, it's proper, we had investors, and I got to learn a lot there. But I soon realized that there was kind of a limitation to how much beauty and clarity that I can bring to the world through kind of upcycled bags. Sure, there's, there's definitely a lot of um, benefit, and we are able to upcycle tons and tons of billboards. Uh, and that company still lives today. So I'm, I'm really happy that that continues to have a positive impact. But I saw a greater impact through software. And then I, I kind of, uh, you know, growing up uh, watching people like Steve Jobs and different things like that, it, it was kind of magical to me. And then I wanted to be a part of that magic. And then after uh, Art Center and some of my entrepreneurial work, I went to BCG, Boston Consulting Group. I was part of their kind of 
uh, Skunkworks division, if you will. It was called Digital Ventures. Um, but essentially, while, while I was there for three years, I was, kind of, I was the CEO's right-hand man. And then they grew from like 50 to 800 people. Yeah, shout out to Jeff Schumacher and then uh, Lamar Walker and the team over there. But the, it, it was a rocket ship. And then the really cool part with me was that I got to be in charge of the Digital Ventures brand and the brand system that was involved there, uh, involved with BCG and kind of some of their identity refreshes. But also I got to work with the top companies in the world. These are all Fortune 100s, right? And we're working with their executive suite to come up with new innovative ventures that challenge their model. This meant that I had to create these really intricate, sophisticated brand systems because that's what these enterprises expected. And it, really ridiculously fast amount of time. We were also working globally. So I would be spending six months, eight months in Japan, working and developing in the office over there. And then I was having to build out these like brand systems essentially, right? Identity systems, everything involved in the brand in a matter of like six months. This included things like how to build an office, how to hire people, like everything involved. And then every six months, uh, the company would have me do it over again for another big company. <laughs> uh, as I kept on doing that, I started to integrate intelligence into my systems. Essentially, I felt really kind of ridiculous delivering these static brands to these companies because I knew the, the fact that they were static and these systems were static and they didn't have an uh, element of intelligence to them means that they were going to die. Like today, you need to have a living brand and needs to continuously adapt and be maintained by someone like myself. Now, I started to basically, because of just pure need, I would get requests like, hey, show, this website's really cool, but we need you to like curate the entire brand for the Japanese market. <laughs> By getting requests like that, I just started to integrate more of these technologies into essentially what would be a brand presence for an enterprise. I got really, really good at it. I showed a few of my coworkers, um, including my boss at the time, and then he said, you need to essentially run with this. Um, some of my coworkers, and these are um, some of the highest quality individuals at BCG, because I got to the point where I was working at BCG where they really let me pick the team that I wanted. Uh, they quit their jobs immediately. And so that was a pretty good like uh, green light sign, I guess as Matthew McConaughey will say, right? <laughs> that was a pretty big green light. And then so there was kind of a decision to be made there. Um, either we take investor money or go into an incubator really quickly. And we had the option to do that. Um, but also a lot of us were kind of ex-BCGers. We had like pretty fat 401ks and different things like that at, at that point. And we had some cash. So we decided to bootstrap it. Um, we bootstrapped it actually in my grandma's garage. So we're, I convinced people from Paris, Portland, Venice Beach, Santa Monica area, right? To move into the basement of my grandma's house and work out of my grandma's garage for the first year. Obviously like we're in office now you can kind of see, and we have offices around the world in Paris, New York and different things like that. Um, but the first year was a proper garage startup. And then to be honest with you, that was probably like my favorite, one of my favorite times of the company. Um, just everybody is flowing, you know, it's, it's kind of like a great soccer game and everybody knows their position. It was a great time. That was five years ago now though. So a lot has happened <laughs> in the last five to six years in AI, as you can imagine. In many ways, the first five years was R&D, right? GPT-1 was, it was like getting a high school, a typical high school student. It was decent at certain things. Like if you gave it enough examples, like things like you saw like the style guide or like managing colors or typography and different things like that. 
there were enough like patterns in that where uh, the AI was decent at it. And it also served as a really good framework or platform for people to build upon too. We also really early in the first year, so we realized, oh, Mike, the feedback is really important. So as the AI kicks out things, getting feedback from the user to be able to update the principles, update data in a way that was really easy to use was uh, really important. Um, so we developed a beautiful visual CMS that is easy to read, not just by humans, but by AI as well. Uh, so we can continue to solve that alignment issue. Okay. Now, now everybody that's listening to this is going to glimpse into my interactions with Show. He's got a very fast moving mind. He can talk about a lot of different things. He doesn't even need to breathe apparently because he'll just keep talking. So <laughs> let, let me just catch our audience up to what we talked about so far. Uh, art is in your DNA. As you grew up, you thought you might be an artist and you've even had work celebrated in very notable places like, uh, did you say Carnegie Mellon? Uh, Car- Carnegie Hall. Uh, Carnegie Hall. Uh, yeah, the last year of high school was pretty amazing. I got, yeah. um, I think, over 100 awards. Wow, yeah. that's incredible. Okay, but then you quickly realized there are limitations to art for a number of different reasons. I don't want to go there. And you thought design was a m- much better platform or a way for you to apply your thinking. You can design systems, you can help people. It's not just about purely expressing your vision with the world. This moves you through Art Center. And shortly thereafter, you're a co-founder in this upcycled company called Rareform, which I've actually met the other founders and chatted with them for a brief period of time. So I'm very much aware of that. Somewhere along the way, you joined BCG, left your entrepreneurial roots behind, and started to see certain patterns within a space. And you have access to extremely talented people and also high-level executives in some of the most successful companies in the world. And there you start to develop systems. And I think this is where your brain is, is divergent in the way that it looks at the problem that's different than how other people look at problems. If it were me, I would see the patterns, I would write about them, I would think about them, and I would be able to articulate these patterns and talk about it. You do something a little bit different. You know, what are you doing there that starts to separate you that then begins the, to plant a seed for your departure from BCG to do your own thing? What is it that you were doing? Explain that, please. Yeah, I I think part of it, a little bit in my DNA, um, I I went through kind of a tough time in high school and then I came across Tim Ferriss' book. I don't know, 4-Hour Workweek, if you know about it, but I found happiness through productivity. And then so I typically, when I look at a process, I will spend a lot of time uh, looking for ways to be more efficient at the task. Through efficiency, I don't know, I'll just I'll enjoy the task more. And then so there, there are kind of downsides to this. I, I have to admit, like there are times when I will spend time uh, automating things that really don't need to be automated. <laughs> but in, in this case with, with AI, it seemed to be really applicable. Okay, so how are you as a relatively young person still optimizing and increasing efficiency? What are, you, are you writing code, uh, scripts? What are you doing here? Yeah, we do a lot of code. But the really great part with some of this uh, new AI foundation models that are out now is that we can build upon some of the best models. And so in some ways, I wouldn't even consider us like coding as much as we are training. Uh, we spend a lot, a lot of time uh, training the models, figuring out how to curate data, how to weight data properly, how to make sh- get the most out of these models, essentially. We're also completely AI agnostic in the sense that through our platform, individuals like yourself can get access to all the greatest models working together in unison. 
And then we kind of serve as a conductor, saving you time from having to go out there and figure out, oh, what model is good for me right now? Uh, we, we ensure that depending on what you're asking of the platform, we assign the right model for the job. Uh, that means that we're, we're testing at any given time seven to 18 different models uh, in our research lab. And then uh, the really, really great part is our testing is extremely thorough now is because we can click a button and see how that model will apply across an entire brand. We can execute on things like websites and stuff like that and just see, oh, like, uh, it seems to be strong at these things, but not at these different things. Let's, let's utilize it for these aspects of the project. So I would say the last six years has felt a lot more like a R&D lab than a typical startup. 70% of our team are can code and are engineers. So that kind of gives you an idea of how we're kind of allocating our resources. Mm. I think you answered the question by skipping to the future. I wanted to bring you back to the past. I'm talking about your time at BCG when you're kind of leaving the Skunk Works program and you're talking to these executives and you see things and you're, you're I, I, if I recall correctly from our conversation about a year ago, I think you were writing scripts or ways to automate things. This is pre-AI, I believe, if I'm yes. not mistaken. Tell me more about that. Absolutely. Even in, back in like 2011, 2012, I was using um, basic machine learning and conditionals and different things like that to do my art center homework. <laughs> so I don't know if you remember, um, Brad Bartlett had like a typography class where he had to kick out a 250 page book. Um, Brad wasn't too happy with me because I wasn't able to show a lot of my process. But at the end of the final, I was able to show up with 12 different books um, beautifully designed by AI based upon its content. Mm. And then I created like a really sophisticated piece of software to like even integrate things like user curation or ratings or even stock market prices to like customize the book uh, to the user. And then so that, that was always something that I was, I was thinking about. Do you still have uh, copies or images of these books that we can see? Oh yeah, of course. I could, I could, I'd be very happy to share okay. that. It, it was a... Um, it was a moment of pride for me because I, I even connected it to smart warehousing. Like I, I created the website. You can log in, create an account, um, choose the type of book and curation that you want. Um, it, it, and then you can actually send it to print. And then within 24 hours, you can actually receive the book. Uh, so I, at the time, I was really, really excited about it. And then in some ways, in the back of my head, I still have thoughts about releasing it as a book. That's very cool. So if you're listening to this podcast, check the show notes and we will share a link to that work so you can track along with our conversation. Um, this sounds fascinating to me. So we're talking about 2010, you said, about 13 years ago, you're already using machine learning and using AI? 2012. Oh, 2012, yeah. okay. So it's about 11 years ago, you're already doing this. What I can't figure out, show is an artist becomes a designer. Where's this knowledge or this desire to do training models or even poking around the AI space. When did this in, get introduced in your life? And this is very unusual mm. for a design student to be whipping out machine learning AI code to generate art projects. Uh, absolutely. Well, I, I was always like a super nerd. <laughs> and then so uh, just to give you an idea, when I was like 11, like I would beg my, my parents to send me to like a video game design camp where I would like learn how to code video games. I was also really big in the flash world at the time. So I like begged my dad to like uh, take me to like flash forward conferences and different things like that. And he was also very supportive of that too. Um, but essentially I was coding from an extremely young age and just, it, it was, um, I, I almost, I didn't really see it as much as coding as just another, I just thought coding as another uh, tool, like a paintbrush or charcoal or any, anything else. Yeah. And then 
Just like I me. Just, uh, yeah, look exactly. at the same way. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> yeah. He, okay, so you beg your parents to send you to Flash Forward and to send you to video game academies and camps. Did they yep. do it? Did they let you go? Yeah, yeah. And then I would oft, often get times get like, you know, just be able to walk in as a student to crazy things yeah. too. I had, I had this tendency when I was really young, I realized, oh, like no one's going to stop me. <laughs> so I used to go and uh, attend really cool things all the time for really, really cheap. If, if sometimes for free, people would just be yeah. like, I would ask for a ticket and they'll say, just go on in. When you're, when you're young, people are cool. They, they let you get away with lots of stuff because they admire that there's a young human who's uh, passionate and inspired by the things that they think no kid is interested in this kind of stuff. So you must have been one of the youngest people. Yeah, and I loved it. I was in front row, center. Like Wow. Um, I, I, I really idolized the people on stage. Yeah. Sure. Because to, to me, they were like the magicians of my life, the, mm. the wizards, the people that my, my mission is to bring beauty and clarity. And these were like the examples of people that were doing that in a really creative manner. Yeah, so I was having yeah. a blast. And were you living in Japan at this time or were you living in America? Uh, so I lived in Japan till I was about 11 or 12. Yeah. Something around that time. So you're going to these academies while you're in Japan? In, in Japan, I, I was a, an artist, but really all of this stuff happened around the 12, 13 year old age. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, when you go to a new country and then, you know, you don't have friends and different things like that. I got really good at art. <laughs> 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 so, all right, now we understand the DNA part, which is there's a strange person that is a hybrid between art, design and coding and video games and just probably more advanced than his age and is able to do lots of things. And I think this is important for the context of like, who's this guy talking? Because he's talking so fast and I'm having a hard time keeping up with him. It's because his brain's working probably in multiple, like parallel processing, multitasking and shuffling around lots of pieces of information. Okay, that now brings us to where you're at today with your team. How big are you? How many of you are there? And how many, you said there's a couple different offices and, and what is the purpose of the company? Yeah, uh, we're still a small startup. There's about two dozen of us and we operate a lot like a production company. So I used to work mm -hmm. at Be Real, which is a production company. So we, we typically um, hire contractors that are specialized at really good things for a specific task within the project. And we have really good lead engineers and system architects within the team full time. What is the purpose of the company? The purpose of the company um, really is to take these AI models and then train them on domain expertise, uh, intelligence. It, it's all about augmenting intelligence so people can um, essentially focus on their story and their identity and, and scaling that to a greater, larger audience. It first started off with just helping people create brand assets and different things like that. But as mm -hmm. you can see with these foundation models, they're, they're so flexible that by using our platform to give these AI models context in a proper way, you're able to get um, really, really great outcomes. Uh, it's also a great way for people to kind of have greater self-awareness and kind of reflect on how their system works. Uh, we've noticed that uh, companies that do use our platform is able to kind of hone in on who they are, who, what their identity is, uh, because the AI will be able to reflect back to them if something is not working or not. Okay, let's get to the meaty stuff of the conversation stuff. I'm super excited to talk to you and share with our audience about today, which is this. So in one of our many conversations, Joe and I have been chatting via Zoom or whatever, and we're, we're discussing things. At some point, he suggests to me, 
Chris, would you like an AI version of you built? Because we can do that for you. Of course, then, like I sit up straight, my ears perk up like, yes. Because instantly, fans of the show know this. They know this about me. We have this really big, hairy, audacious goal, which is to teach a billion people how to make a living doing what they love. And some people, our, our fans and our critics have questioned, is this even possible? And to be honest, my answer usually is, I'm not sure. It might take multiple lifetimes to be able to achieve this goal with the bigger goal of disrupting the educational model as we know it today. And I'm not worried because I feel like in the way things have worked out in my life that you set your goal, you get clear on it, it helps you to make better decisions, but eventually you magnetize yourself and you draw the people and the resources that you need to make this thing happen. So now everybody who's getting ahead of the conversation knows exactly where this is going to go. Show says we can build a digital clone of you that can teach and consult in ways that are eerily familiar to you. And I'm like, I need this show, let's do this. And we don't even know what we're doing, but we're doing something together. And we're affectionately nicknaming this robot, this AI trained model, Dobot. I know you guys get it, Dobot, you're smart. And show's been showing me updates to Dobot. And I want to talk to, to, through the, the process with, with them. And then you chime in where you think it's I'm misspeaking or you want to add layers to this. Okay, show? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. So version one, he's like, okay, what information do we feed this thing? And I said, well, it makes sense. Feed it my book. Those are my thoughts collected. It's clear. And then feed it the business boot camp. And you're also an alum of the Business Bootcamp. It's a $10,000 program that's got, I think, seven or eight modules on all the things I need. I think people need to learn to run a proper business from bidding to negotiations, the mindset, communication, all that stuff. Okay, it's all there. And then also give it all the Q&A sessions that we've had over the last couple of years and feed it that data. So now it's a pretty good stand-in for the teacher who ran that course with me, the Business Bootcamp. And so we looked at that model and it was really good. So show in his computer brain runs a test. He asks the robot, Dobot, lots of questions and he compiles the answers and he shares a spreadsheet with me. He goes, Chris, here's the latest update. And I look at him like I'm very impressed because it refers to very specific things that are said. And if you asked it as a student of the bootcamp, a question or two, it would know exactly what you're talking about because it was trained on that material. It could respond immediately Things I've already long forgotten. Pretty cool. But then I asked show this question, which is, if somebody were to ask me a question today, I would not just tell them the answer because I need to know more about what their intentions are. And I'm a big believer in this. A properly framed question is 50% the answer. So he said, let's get on a call. Let's record the conversation and tell me how you would do this in real life. And we ran through a couple of scenarios. He says, this is great. I'll pause the story there. You go do something and now we're at Dobot version two. What is it that you did with that conversation so people understand? Yeah, so uh, Chris was very clear in his feedback to the AI in terms of what he wanted from it next. And then so I literally just took the transcript from that conversation, gave it to the AI and told it, hey, update this persona for Dobot to include all of this feedback. And then this, this is probably a process that we'll continue to do for the rest of our lives, essentially, where we're continuously making these kind of small fine-tuned alignments. But it's, it's really exciting to see how well the AI is able to respond if you do properly give it the right, the right guidelines and the right examples. Right. So you said a lot of this is not coding. 
it's training the models, it's curating, it's giving it feedback so that it becomes more of what it is that you want it to do. So while you're testing the version two of Nobot, which was more curious, more question-based, more diagnostic than it was just giving uh, prescribed answers to things, and you were telling me a story about how you were talking to it at night and you, you're kind of having a different relationship with Dobot now. Share a little bit about the dialogue that you're having. Yeah, absolutely. So the where it's really beneficial is that I can do things like, oh, uh, my, my investor sent me this email or something or my board member or my coworker sent me this and I don't know how to feel about it. I can actually share that with the Dobot at 2 a.m. in the morning on a Sunday. And I can have a long back and forth conversation where the Dobot's able to help guide me through that thought process of figuring that out. I was able to do that multiple times. And it's actually in, in many ways uh, behind some of the strategic pivots that we're making at a company is the ability to have these kind of conversations in kind of real time. Typically, you know, people like Chris don't have the time to be reading through all your stuff or, um, you know, looking at all these different things. But a dobot, especially at 2 a.m. on a Sunday, right? <laughs> but sometimes that's when you need Chris the most. <laughs> and that's where you can get a version <laughs> of Chris, essentially, that can kind of walk you through uh, some of these things that he's refined over a long period of time. And then so in this way, we hope to see like the benefit, the positive effect that Chris can have on people, uh, even when Chris is not there. It, it, for, for me, it was huge. Um, even after being a kind of a business bootcamp member, uh, there were tons of questions that you continuously have because every scenario is kind of unique. It was, it was a fantastic tool for me. Okay, you can see the obvious applications and in, in the implications that having a digital clone of yourself, especially if you're a teacher or someone who wants to do something at scale. Obviously, I'm one person, I'm tied to the people that are in front of me or are listening to it. And the level of interaction is limited by to the number of people who show up. So in a way, I mean, Sho was telling me the questions that the robot, the AI trained Dobot was having with him, he even got emotional talking to it. And we were just oh, joking. Yeah, I, because I pretty much cried, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you cry? What, what did it say or ask you that got, got you emotional? Well, uh, typically, you know, the questions that I'm asking chatbots at 2 a.m. Are, are pretty deep. Where like, you know, there's a lot of, uh, especially going, being an entrepreneur, you know, uh, dealing with a startup. And then this is my first time really managing people. I manage people at BCG, but I wasn't signing their paychecks, right? So th there's a lot of uh, new dynamics that happen to me on a, day, on, a, on a weekly basis. And then so kind of realizing one that, oh, like, hey, th this was something that I might've been like not addressing, kind of shoving it into the shadow. Some of the questions that the, the bot was kind of, that was asking of me to kind of question, questions that I needed to ask myself. And then through that process, yeah, it, it could get pretty emotional very quickly. But th this, is, this is basically kind of a happy emotional, right? Kind of almost like an enlightened emotional where it feels more like a burden lifted off your shoulders then like, you know, I, I figured out this one email. It's not that kind of emotion. It's like, yeah. oh, wow, like this was something that I was blind to before and now I see. Yeah, I, I think in a not so shocking, shocking way, it can ask you reflective questions that get you to sit there and like, wait, why am I doing this? And, and to get in check with your alignment or alignment with your goals and your values and your vision. And it can be an emotional experience yeah. when you get that clarity and you feel like somebody's, really paying attention to you. 
I have these moments when I'm in therapy, when I used to go to therapy with, with Joan and she would ask me some questions. I felt like mm. for this one hour that we spend together, she's giving me her undivided attention. And very rarely does that happen, not even for 10 minutes. Like in our daily interactions, we're always distracted with the things that we're doing. So it can feel deeply emotional. Okay, so here's the interesting thing. A couple of days after version two of Dobot, we decide to go into Twitter spaces and test the version two. And people were told that I'm going to just be the human facilitator, uh, the conduit between people on Twitter and Dobot. So they would ask questions and would feed those into the AI engine and just read people the responses. But something weird happened. Dobot did not ask questions. It just gave answers, which surprised me a little bit. But there's, there's a little bit more to the story, right? But everybody was semi-impressed. Like some answers felt a lot like me. And one, one of our friends, Nadie, even commented, like it felt really empathetic, emotional, and kind. And I'm like, well, it's not me, obviously, because that's, that's <laughs> not me. So that's pretty cool. Like the clone of you can be all of your strengths, but it has the infinite patience of a computer, which is pretty cool and really neat. So what happened was, show explained to them why it didn't work the way it was supposed to. Of course. So we're built on uh, the world's greatest foundation models. And then right now uh, for text, that's GPT. Uh, Google has their models. Uh, Facebook has open source models and different things that we're exploring as well. These open source models are getting more and more exciting. We have the ability to switch between them. Um, right now we're using GPT as a foundation model that we train and build our platform and like provide the data engine and different things like that too. Uh, GPT had an update on Monday. <laughs> So right after, um, Chris, you and, you and me, uh, we tested the AI, uh, they released an update. And then in that update, essentially, uh, there was more weight towards longer answers, which was not the case before. So it, was, it had a tendency to kind of embellish or add fluff, which is obviously not your style. So that was extremely problematic. When I first saw that, I, I was so in shock and almost cried. Because typically, when a model gets an update, it's an improvement. It doesn't get worse. But uh, to us, like increasing the length of the answer wasn't necessarily an improvement. Um, so we've had to go back and um, this is something that we continuously do is that we go back in there and refine and say, okay, let's adjust the platform. Like almost think about if the platform, like an amp had little knobs where you can change certain things. We can make these kind of fine tune adjustments for these updates. And then, so we've had to make a little bit of an update to uh, your model. Essentially, this is actually platform-wide to all the different platforms uh, to make sure to make sure it doesn't add all that fluff. There are, you know, scenarios where another thing, it, it won't mention certain authors or different things like that. Essentially, it has another layer of censorship that has been developed. Um, you know, the, the people behind GPT is OpenAI, people behind OpenAI is Microsoft. So they really do have to play by the rules. That's, that's where it's going to be interesting to see um, how the landscape shapes up between these kind of open source models that might actually start to outperform these enterprise models, basically because they have less constraints. The short answer to the question was, in summarizing what you were saying, is unbeknownst to us, GPT had updated and broke the model. Yes. And so it wasn't giving us a question-based approach. It was very wordy. And it, it, was, it was speaking uh, more formal than I would. And so it, it was an impressive demo, but it wasn't the one that we had 
prepared for. Yes. So we went back, we took all the feedback from the live Twitter space and we started to implement a lot of the things that we're talking about. So we're at version 2.1. What's kind of interesting is as you try to build a clone of yourself, you actually kind of need to know who you are and the tonality and the things that you do that you're not aware of. So our audience helped us out with that. They would say, oftentimes I'm using metaphor or I'll wrap it around a story to make the point. I'm not using this many words. And there's a certain tonality that I will speak in that it feels a little bit different than the, the, the two, the, the human version versus the robot. And of course, I asked a lot more questions that kind of helped to pinpoint what the person's working through. Uh, they also, well, I, I guess they made me aware of something that we've had it trained exclusively on content by me, but I am not just my own content. I am the product of multiple influences from the books I've read, from the videos I've watched, and I wanted the robot to know what it is that I know and to put prioritize those resources over this, the wide web. And I said also, when it mentions a concept, I normally try my best to cite and quote people that might be one of those issues where we can't fully resolve, but at least I try to, because I think it's honorable to cite your sources, both for you and for the creator of the original thought, helps both people out. And I'm always a little leery when people say things and they say it as if they came up with it by themselves. So version 2.1, you released, you shared with me. I'm playing around with it. And then I have to tell you, it's working beautifully. Last oh, nice. Night, and I just nice. posted about this on LinkedIn. Last night, I played around with it. I, I gave it a prompt and it did something it hadn't done before with me. I'm going to just read to, to everybody who's listening what I wrote and how it responded and prepare to be shocked or in awe of how this technology is progressing. Time for a quick break, but we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. believe in the power of being around like-minded people who will both encourage and challenge you? How about having access to experts who are sharing what's working in today's market so you can skip the guesswork and get right to taking action? 
If so, I want to invite you to join us inside the Future Pro membership, where you will get instant access to the community, resources, and support that will allow you to effectively scale your business. Go to thefuture.com slash pro to learn more and join us on the inside. Welcome back to our conversation. For some of you who are anti-AI, I'm just going to ask you to keep an open mind. You're probably not here anymore because all this talk has probably ruined your day. But for the rest of you that are still here, let's get into it, okay? And I'm going to say this because it's kind of embarrassing that the robot helped me to realize my logic was flawed. Here we go. Mm. I asked it, help me write a LinkedIn post that dispels the myth that those who can't teach. Cite examples of famous coaches or teachers who are considered the best in their field despite not achieving personal success as a practitioner. If possible, include Phil Jackson and Emmanuel Stewart. Now, if you're paying careful attention to this, you might see what the robot has already seen, but at least was blind to me. I'm fully expecting it just to start writing as ChatGPT would normally, right? But here's what it says in response. It says, sure, let's dive into this, but first let's clarify What's the main point you want to get across? Are you aiming to highlight the value of teaching or the idea that success isn't always measured by personal achievement? Whoa, it truly understands what I'm asking for and it's asking me some questions. I'm like, all right, let me just keep playing along. And I say to it kind of, you know, like how I would normally say to somebody, both, but with a greater emphasis on the latter. And now I think, okay, for sure it's going to give me a response, but it doesn't. It says, before we dive into crafting this LinkedIn post, let's clarify a few things. What's the main message you want to convey about these coaches or teachers? Are we focusing on their ability to bring out the best in others, their unique teaching methods, or something else? And how do you want this to tie back to your own experience or perspective? At this point, I'm like, oh my God, my brain hurts. <laughs> Dobot is asking me too many questions and I'm, I'm just thinking, give me the freaking answer. Yeah. But I realized I haven't really thought this through that carefully because my original prompt was loose, it was broad, and they had a big flaw built into it. So this is like how I would talk to people. Maybe not as patient, maybe I wouldn't use these exact words, but whenever someone asks me something, I don't presume to know what they're asking or that they themselves know what they're asking for. So only in dialogue and asking more questions can we both get to a place of clarity. Uh, because I think... I'm not sure if it was Maya Angelou who said this, there's no such thing as the right answer to the wrong question. So if it goes and answer it, it's going to send me down a wrong path. And I, I love that kind of interaction. So I've been sharing as much as I can live via social media on different platforms, the progress that we're making. And it's, I got to say, it's really cool. And it's a little bit scary how good it is already. Okay, do you want to respond to that show? Absolutely. And this is just the beginning. Uh, just so you know, uh, just this morning, we added the YouTube videos that you sent us as reference, mm -hmm. like the things that were inspiring to you, like books and different things like that. So it should be uh, even better than before. So, and then uh, the really, really exciting part is there's still a lot that we can do even within the platform with the data that we currently have to further optimize it and make it better. There's just tons and tons of strategies around that. 
There's also uh, one of the things that I noticed we we I don't think we put the pod, your podcast data in here yet, but things like the podcast data because it's so Q and A as we are right now, it's extremely applicable to a kind of a more of a chat experience. Right now we have a lot of business bootcamp information in there, so it actually might be really good at creating business bootcamp courses for you know help you through that process in the future. I'm I'm really really just like yourself. I'm really really excited to continue to see this progress. I think uh, just like we've seen with some of the image generation stuff, you know, you've seen uh, how good it's become over the past year. The same thing is happening with language models. It's a little bit harder to detect, you know, like if you're not a great writer, can you really tell the difference between an amazing writer and a, and a legendary writer? It's, it's, it's becoming one of those worlds right now with AI. Right. This is wonderful. Okay. We've gone through this. And I think what you're doing is you're providing me with a tool and resource that I'm going to be able to help a lot more people. Because like you said, if it's two in the morning, if it's a Saturday or Sunday, I'm not really that available. Forget about the long emails or the PDFs you want to send me. I'm just not that available and I can't be, but I do aspire or, or intend to help as many people as I can. It's just, there's a limit on what I can do without hurting myself in the process. So this allows me to create something that can be used by many people. It allows them to have some form of a relationship with it. And it reminds me of that film, I think it was directed by Spike Jones. It's called Her. And it stars yes. Joaquin Phoenix. And, and he falls in love with his AI which is fairly common in this futuristic world. And back then, this felt like pure science fiction, but it was a novel concept that a person falls in love with this operating system uh, voiced by Scarlett Johansson. And of course, she has a very seductive, sexy voice, a husky, and he's talking to her and he falls in love with her as much as he would fall in love with anybody. They have phone sex, they have deep relationships, meaningful conversations. And it feels like 2023, 2024, we're going to be right there where people are going to be talking to their operating system and having relationships. And it's going to feel as real as anything you've experienced in your life. And then it calls into question, what is real? Because I, I don't know about you, but I've had long distance relationships before where I couldn't see the person. It was purely based on the phone. And it's not that crazy of an idea that you can actually find meaningful, personal, deep emotional connections with something that is artificial. I, I completely agree. The, the movie Her is not, you know, you, you don't look at his behavior and say, that's a crazy man. You say, you know, that's a, that's a man that clearly lacks love in his life. Yeah. But that relationship seems to work where there's kind of like mutual benefit is clear. It seems, in some ways it even seems to be healthy in the sense that the Scarlett Johansson, the AI, was so wise that it was kind of able to guide him towards happiness. Yeah. I ironically, you know, she leaves him. Yeah. <laughs> spoiler alert, you have to say spoiler alert first. Okay, um, everybody rewind, a spoiler coming. Okay, go ahead. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, yeah so if you haven't seen it, uh, that, there's a bit of, bit of a shock there. There are, you know, certain people now that are even like building servers within their home so they can have like their own AI running at all times within their home that can't like leave or like, uh, <laughs> people are already figuring it out. You know, one of the things that has inspired me to create what we do today is some of the movies and what we've seen. Right. Oftentimes they show what can happen in the worst case scenario, but oftentimes I can kind of see the best case scenario. One of the first movie campaigns I worked on was for the Avengers film, the first Marvel Avengers back in like 2010 or something like that. And I had to create a lot of like the graphics and 3D for Iron Man. And then to me back then, I was like, you know, this, this seems possible. 
you know, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I'm just creating designs and After Effects and Cinema 4D stuff right now, but this seems possible. Uh, like even if, even without a neural network or something as complex as we have today, even the code from back then, we could probably made something happen. And then I really love that idea of being kind of like a Q or like, uh, you know, Q from James Bond where the tech guy yeah. that is able to provide like Jarvis-like technology to great domain experts and leaders like yourself. Uh, you even have the glasses, right, of the Tony Stark. Like, <laughs> uh, essentially, because I, I know in the hands of someone that can, when, when the AI does ask you tough questions, you're able to actually help give it direction. That's what AI is really lacking today. And then oftentimes, you know, those questions that you talked, oh, this, these, these are tough questions. When it comes to an enterprise or brand and some of the bigger brands that we worked with, uh, they're very slow to answer those questions. And so it's exciting to see how much more power people like yourself are gonna have in the future, even compared to bigger brands, because of your ability to make decisions and to guide the AI and essentially give it a compass uh, so it can run in a direction that you need it to. So show what's the business model for something like this? I know you're helping me. Yeah. And eventually there's going to be some monetization model. There has to be business here because you can't support a team of 24 people on just goodwill, right? Yes. So yes. talk me through like if this excites somebody, where where do they go with this kind of thing? And how do you see this rolling out for me and for others? Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, people can go to our website, show.ai, and we have pricing on there. Essentially, the pricing is reflective of the value that we bring to the company or the brand or the person, right? In terms of efficiencies and productivity, their ability to kind of 10x their uh, presence using our tool. A big part of what we do, and it's kind of baked into our pricing, is this idea of like these AI live hours, where essentially you work with our team, where we work with some of your data and we help you kind of make the right decisions in terms of making the AI that best suits you. For another brand, they don't want a Dobot, right? <laughs> they want their own version or a different expert. Maybe they're in real estate or different things like that. They want their version. And it's very different data and they're saying different things in a very different way. And then maybe some of them, you know, the last thing that they want is a follow-up question from their bot. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really depends. And then so we're really excited. If, if people are interested in doing something similar where they are interested in utilizing this foundation models, but they want it, like a good coworker, they want them to be onboarded onto the mission, we're the place to go. Okay, so the rollout plan for us, is, and it's happening right now, you've been working with our team to integrate a Dobot chat presence inside of our paid walled off coaching community called the Future Pro Group. And yes. that's gonna be value add for everybody there. But the idea there is, is that's not the final destination. It's just a testing ground so that we can get better data, help the people that we serve already, and get really valuable feedback. Because in my future, here's what I would love to happen. I train and teach people on a one-to-one, -one, on a one-to-few basis. But I think where I would optimize my time is to spend most of my time training Dobot to be able to tackle questions that people feel like that wasn't a very good answer or response. And so it keeps getting better models, gets better guidelines from us. And so it's going to continue to be more and more refined. So it gets to this place where it's going to handle 90% of your questions and it's going to be good enough for you at a fraction of the cost of what it would cost to book me for an hour. For, so for example, for context here, if you wanted to book with me for an hour, it would cost you $5,000 an hour. I don't have many takers for that at that price point. It was designed this way because I can't just keep selling my time. There's a finite amount of that. 
And so I want Dobot to do most of the work. But ultimately, we've seen other models like this where Dobot lives in the world and you could pay for a number of questions or a period of time. And then there's a model there where there's revenue for, for both of us, where there's some kind of rev share. And we can see it paying for itself and the team and growing not only the educational presence, but growing financially for both of us, right? Is that where this goes, show? Absolutely. Um, we, we actually even have a system where if you wanted to, you can launch your own kind of the future pro group completely within the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked about the ability to create websites and different things like that. Uh, even things like managing like your payments and your users and different things like that. This, these are all capabilities that we can really streamline for you. So you can focus on what's important, the story. And then I don't have to worry about like all the other technology behind the closed doors because it is a race. Let, let us kind of handle that. And in terms of the flexibility of the system, you're completely right. You can like people can utilize the API to integrate it within their software, um, and we have tons of incredible integration tools. Even things like uh, the system can even generate CSS and different things like that for you. Now, at the very bare minimum, right, you can just think of it as you know AI trained on you and your identity or your brand, um, but. The vehicle itself is actually pretty complex in the sense that it has 600 plus features. So imagine a chat GPT or stability or these different things with 600 features that you can actually integrate this technology into your brand system, whatever that might be. And that could be future pro group, that could be your newsletters, it could be your website. And and these days, these touch points are are getting out of hand, but let AI help with that. Right. Uh, there's a couple of other phases I see it going through potentially. One is we get the language model to work so good that we're like, yeah, we're pretty convinced this is you. And all my friends and, and family are like, yeah, it's pretty you. It's got the same snappiness and it's asking the right questions and helping me to get clarity. And then we take it to like using synthetic voice. So now it's going to speak like me and sound like me. So if you really want to quote unquote talk to me in a, a natural language model versus writing things down via text prompt, and then the last one is to use potentially some deep fake version of myself where it's like, okay, this is a digital version of you. I know it's not you, but if you want to look at a face, if you want it to emote and react to you and sound like me, that would be the third phase of this. But you and I are already talking about, well, there are specific ways that I create content, the way I write posts. And so there could be a, a dobot that's trained on this foundational layer, but one that's has specific data and weights to things about how I like to create content. So if you're trying to grow your social media presence and you want to write higher engaging posts on LinkedIn, you give it some information and Dobot walks you through the process and coaches you through it versus just rewriting it for you. I think that gets really interesting. So now Dobot is a teacher or a coach and helps you to write better in terms of getting, because I'm not an English professor, in terms of getting higher engagement on your posts. And we can see it doing many different things, not just being a consultant or a therapist or whatever. So lots of applications. I'm super excited where this goes. Now, I know you prepared a couple of slides. I don't know if you want to show them, if this is the appropriate time, or if you want to finish another thought. What do you think? Oh, sure. I, I would love to show the slides. Yeah, just to piggyback on what you're talking about. Um, you know, one of the huge things in going the startup over the past six years was surrounding myself with kind of like these mentors or coaches. They're extremely, extremely valuable. You know, one of one of the beautiful things about the Dobot and then things like in the future will, will be that people will be able to have like a Jedi Council where they'll be able to talk to like a Dobot or and the Alex Hormozy bot in the same room about a problem that they're having. I, I'm really excited to see how this kind of scales. 
Yeah. Wonderful. And then it should be huge value to everybody. I just want to make a quick note for people who are listening to this podcast. We'll include the link to the YouTube video so you can actually see what show's talking about, which will come out after the podcast typically. So just be on the lookout for the link that will be embedded in this podcast episode so that you can actually see it. Okay, so here, um, this is kind of a little bit of a framework breakdown of how the system works, right? And how we're able to essentially create Dobot. We have this beautiful platform, and this is essentially the AI data engine, where it's like the long-term memory of the AI. So it has contextual relevance to create answers that are specific to Chris or specific to your brand. Uh, we're built upon tons of different uh, models, uh, some to do like AI tagging of images, uh, some obviously GPT to create text, stability to generate images, DALI, et cetera. Um, so uh, you can get access to them all in one single place. But the beautiful part is you can train it from one place too. So they all kind of talk the same language. We do that by essentially filling it with the brand compliance and rule tuning layer. So this is some of the rules like the personas or you know, some of the feedback that Chris gives us. Uh, the data and assets. So this is like the business bootcamp or different things like that. And we also have the ability to integrate. So if you did want to integrate Google Analytics or we have all these different blocks, you, these are basically senses into AI. So Dobot basically has senses into, oh, this is how the marketing website is doing and different things like that. Essentially becoming more contextually aware, giving you better answers. This is a little crazy, but essentially this, you see it in edit mode here. It's completely white labeled front end and back end. And essentially this is where you're able to, you have a few things here. You can kind of think of them as four major features. The brand tune chat. So this is where you have the different personas and you can have the access to the Dobot. You have the brand style controller where you can literally just generate websites and assets. We integrate with like Figma and different things like that. So we, we do think about what people want. You have the AI data engine where you can edit pages, update, uh, create sections, like sort it the way you want. We have permissions in different layers as well. And then of course the brand tune image gen. Um, we just had a recent update, really exciting stuff. All the imagery you kind of see in the back end was all generated with the image gen. But you can also generate 10 images at a time using our system. But the important part is you can generate them using your brand colors and stuff like that. Um, I thought this was kind of fun to show. So if you asked ChatGPT, right, about like, who are you? It, it really doesn't have a sense of positioning. And then so that's where prompt engineering has become really, really popular, where people are basically injecting the context into a sentence, which is, we know, not best practice if you try to do that with a human. Uh, but with the context, you essentially get the exact answer that you want, right? He even knows, uh, the AI even knows who it's talking to, which is kind of funny. Um, here, I thought I'd just like break down on just a few conversations really quickly that we can talk about. Um, like this is just a conversation that I had with the Dobot. And then we can actually have a conversation directly, but I thought this was easier so we can actually see how it's responding. Essentially, it's asking with follow-up questions that I answer. And then these are kind of like more kind of honest, you know, late at night conversations that you can have with the AI. <laughs> and, late at night pouring your soul out to your computer, yes. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, just so people know, you know, this is not a fear of mine. You know, this is not me. <laughs> 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 this is a friend of yours. You're asking for yeah, this a friend. Is a, I'm asking for a friend. Yeah, um, yeah. but you can kind of see that it, it is empathetic and it, it's really focusing on continuing the conversation. So I feed it more information. Uh, eventually it has enough information. It'll give an actual kind of advice based upon everything that I've given it. But you can see it really did try to understand the scenario before it gave this ad advice. You can see it's like also referencing some of the books and different things like that that you've included as well. 
Uh, this is another completely different use case, but I wanted to show it anyway. Uh, in this case, you know, one of the things that, you know, I would love to be able to do is ask Chris Doe at 9 p.m. at night, like, hey, can you review my marketing copy on my website? <laughs> and I want him to respond immediately. <laughs> uh, this is ex essentially what I did with the Doe bot. And then uh, essentially they're able to give me really good uh, feedback on how I can improve the marketing language on that page and just copy, I paste it into it. So you can kind of see how you can get personalized advice that way. Here, um, you know, I started talking a little bit about things along the lines of like limiting beliefs and different things like that. You can see how we have short, quick uh, follow-up questions where eventually the AI has clarity around the scenario and is able to give proper advice, very specific to the user. Well, the, again, this is a con we're going to continue to refine this, but this is just a few examples of how we can do things. So uh, on, this, on this slide, we're seeing another question. Can you give me a plan that I can execute over the next eight hours to improve my sales? Something really specific, maybe a person has eight hours to spend over the weekend and they just want to dig into some sales. Uh, here, it gave kind of a plan hour by hour on how someone can kind of jump into sales and different things like that. You can kind of see the, there's a lot of flexibility in how we can train the system. We can also kind of go back and say, hey, you know, this is what's going to happen after this call is Chris is going to give me feedback on this writing. And he's going to say, you know, I want it for these types of scenarios, I prefer to respond like this. And the beautiful part is we take that, we put it into a platform. And then from that point on, it will respond that way, which is really exciting. I had some other slides. These are actually slides that I presented at Art Center last year. It was probably like September or something like that. Before like ChatGPT came out, this, this uh, slide would have been even crazier if I had a ChatGPT on there. But kind of talks about AI is completely out of the bottle <laughs> in the sense that it's progressing extremely quickly. At Show.ai, we're kind of riding that wave, but you can see this is a wave that is exponential. Uh, these are just the amount of research papers that basically correlate really closely to AI's capabilities. And so this is a way that you want to watch, uh, ride or else it's, it might wipe you out if you, if you don't ride it. One of the things I'd like to talk, I'd like to talk about too at that Art Center presentation was just, hey, like what, where does that kind of leave us? And then the reason why we created the platform was because we really, really know that AI needs human input. And humans are really good at collecting insight, positioning to ask questions in the field and to see things that can feed the AI to make the brand or presence more competitive. This is a funny, I, I was curious what your thoughts were on, on this slide, Chris, uh, in terms of copying or stealing. There's a lot of, um, for the image creation uh, models right now, there's a lot of controversy around this in terms of open, open data sets and how AI is using patterns and its understanding of the world to create new imagery. My general understanding is that like, it's Google with the search engine, you know, with it, Yahoo was the first ones with the search engines, but they copied it, remixed and it made it their own. They kind of applied their own ingredients. But I'd be really curious to hear your thoughts on um, what you think about AI and the image generation stuff right now in terms of like even copyright or, or uh, ethics. Yeah, AI ethics is a is a tricky one. It's probably one that's too meaty for us to like fully cover, but I'll give you my high-level opinion on this, okay? 
I recently spoke to professors, a professor who's like the direct, what is that called? The chair and department chair of the master's program in one of these prestigious design schools. And he's like, I did the deep dive. Uh, AI is not doing anything different than what humans do. It's, it's just called looking. Yeah. And you look and then you make it your own. And a lot of people, I don't think they understand this, the way that AI is trained on, on copyrighted images is before it processes or looks at the image, it's been diffused. It's That's why it's called stable diffusion. It blurs the image and then it kind of starts to squint its eyes, if you will, and makes out certain patterns. And in the very beginning, eyes and hands and certain parts look really weird because they're still learning, like a child seeing the world for the first time. A lot of people who don't understand how AI works, it because it looks so good, it literally thinks it lifts a part of something and puts it into the other thing like you would yeah, uh, yeah. a photo bash, right? So it's not actually using the pixels. It's an approximation. It's an it's understanding of it. And maybe I have this wrong, but if humans look at work and we're all looking at work all the time, quite literally, you're looking for inspiration and you're processing lots of things and you're doing the deep look. And then you go back and you create some things what are you looking for? And why would you look at it if it not <laughs> in some way to borrow elements, assets, or that spark? And because you don't know how to explain your process and you can do it fairly slowly, you forgive yourself. You give yourself a pass that it's not copying, but you are, and there's nothing wrong with that. It, there's two kinds of copyright that are, are, that are infringement that really bother me. One is the blatant lifting of assets and images that don't belong to you and you use without paying for nor crediting the person who did it. And that kind of copying is unforgivable or should come at a heavy cost. But if you if you look at a poster from Saul Bass and you like the graphic quality of it and the way that he renders images in a very simplistic form and you go out and do something that's very graphic and render something in a very simplistic form, I don't believe you're turning yourself into the authorities. If you use colors inspired by somebody, you're not turning yourself in. Nobody is. But because what's happening is non-artists non-quote-unquote creative people are using tools like this and doing work at scale that rival your technical skill. It's a very threatening gesture and I can see mm. why people are really concerned. But this is not for me to decide. It'll be for the courts to figure it out. But the word of caution I would throw out to everybody is don't wait for the courts to figure this out. You need to be playing with the tools, integrating some of these things into your workflow and you draw the line for yourself, but don't artificially handicap yourself. It's like to say you want to do photo retouching, but you're not going to use any software to do it. You don't want to use Photoshop. You don't want to use Illustrator. You don't want to use any 3D image making program because you want to do it the old way. You want to build real models in real life and you want to light things. And that's how people used to do it. You're, you're putting yourself at a distinct disadvantage. That's my take on it. Show what's yours. Oh, be beautifully said, Chris. <laughs> that, that, that's absolutely my take. How you described how the AI actually thinks through this imagery. In, in many ways, it actually, you know, I think people that actually use it kind of understand that it reflects our process too. And then by utilizing the tool, we, we actually do realize, oh, I am getting better. This is a craft like anything else. And then um, my, my expertise, my knowledge um, does translate. Uh, so I, I'm really ex excited to hear that you kind of have a similar view on how to approach this. I thought this was an interesting uh, slide as well. <laughs> yeah. So this is from our image generator. Um, this is just a really simple prompt of a turtle. This was June last year. You see it's like a cartoon, wow. like child imagery, image, right? You see in November 22, okay, starting to get really good. Now, uh, this, this year, you're getting just incredible imagery. So this is one of the things in, when we talk about progress, you know, it's 
even with the language models, the language models are going to the same level of progress. We just, it's easier to see with imagery. I also want to talk about fine-tuned imagery. This is something that we wanted to do with you, Chris. Um, we actually, uh, we tried uh, using some of your imagery to uh, create a fine-tuned model. Yeah. Uh, we just had to get more of it, just some higher quality imagery, but we'll be able to create some really cool cool things. Mm. But this is kind of where we see like the future of our platform and what we're doing is just the continuous like customization of these tools and then making sure that we're getting the most out of these models. And if that means fine tuning it, awesome. If that means that we have to create a, a playbook that an AI can read and understand so it can follow guidelines, um, that's what we build as well. That's the end of the slides. And then okay. so we can, we can talk about other things. I'd be happy to show it. We can show the platform live too. Um, but you, we probably people get a sense as well, probably through some of the imagery here. So we're switching gears here. Show's going to load up Dobot, the ver current iteration. I think it's version 2.1. It's been updated with a few things. I, I gave you a long laundry list of things to start incorporating. Uh, where are we at with that laundry list in terms of percentage incorporated? Yeah, so we were able to add the books uh, and some of the video references uh, to okay. TED Talks and different things like that. Yes. We, I, we talked about podcasts as well. And I think that would make a huge difference, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, because right now the business bootcamp material outweighs more Q&A type information. Right. And so the AI will have a tendency to kind of just say, oh, most likely this is business bootcamp course material right. that I need to create. Uh, so I'm really excited to see where the podcast takes us to a completely different level, but this, this should significantly outperform Tuesday. <laughs> okay, yeah. let's try something. You know what? I, I have a prompt for you to think about. Okay. Oftentimes I want to write a talk or I want to do a workshop and I need help in formulating the title, the description and a course outline and designing some exercises. I don't want a total failure here. So let's, let's pick something that you think you can excel at given some of the prompts or the ideas I've shared, just shared with you. Oh, in terms of like creating courses and different things yeah, like, like that? I want to write a talk or I want to teach a course and I need to come up with a title, the outline, the hook, whatever it is, and perhaps some of the exercises. You don't have to do all of that. I just want you to pick something in that general space because this is something I do all the time. So you type and I'll narrate for you so that you don't have to walk and chew gum at the same time, okay? Okay. So show's typing in into the interface because it begins with, hey, I'm here to help. What's on your mind? Show's typing in. What are you typing in? Uh, I want to write a talk about generative AI for publishers or the news industry. Okay, that's not a topic I would normally write about, but okay. let's go. Or let's go. That's, for, no, no, for that's motion, motion agencies, maybe. Okay, that's good. Okay, perfect, perfect. Okay, so it thinks about it and it's going to process this. It's using, what version of ChatGPT is it using? It's, it's using, so the foundation layer is GPT-4, but we have okay. a faster model as well. So now it responds, that sounds like a fascinating topic show. Generative AI has a lot of potential in the publishing industry. Before we dive in, could you clarify what specific aspects of generative AI you want to focus on? Are we talking about its role in content creation, design, distribution, or something else? Also, what's the main takeaway you want your audience to have after your talk? Now I'm starting a pattern already because it's the similar kind of questions that asked me last night. Okay, why don't you read your response? Yes, I want to focus on content creation and how to write great articles with AI. Okay, now I'll read the responses. It's still typing it out. Here we go. That's a fascinating topic, show. Generative AI has immense potential in revolutionizing content creation. Before we dive into how to structure your talk, let's clarify a few things. Who's your target audience within the motion agency? Uh, are they content creators, strategists, or decision makers? And what's the key message or takeaway you want them to have after your talk? 
Understanding these aspects can help us tailor the talk to be as impactful as possible. Now, show what's going on in your mind when I ask you some of these questions. This is my fault. I accidentally put for publishers and for motion agencies. So my, my, the quality of my question wasn't good here. Right. So that's, that's kind of my fault there. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll just refresh so we can start from scratch. I basically confused it because I said, in my question, I said for motion and, and then right afterwards, I wrote for publishers. Okay. Uh, so we might have to try that again. Let me say, uh, write a, I need help writing a talk on generative AI. Should we do publishers or should we do for motion agencies? Should Pick we do for motion? Okay, whatever. for motion agencies. Okay, so if you get stuck and it's giving you bad uh, responses and it's asking for a lot of clarification, you're going to do what show does, which is to refresh, so it resets the, the AI and doesn't remember the last conversation. Yes, yeah. It remembers okay. all the so context within he, the system itself, like your videos and everything yeah. in here, but um, the conversation, it'll forget, yeah. Okay. So now uh, Dobot responds, absolutely show. Let's start by getting a clear understanding of your audience. Who will be attending this talk? Are they familiar with generative AI? Uh, or is this a new concept for them? Understanding your audience will help us tailor the talk to their needs and knowledge level. It's a tough question, AI. All right, so I wrote, uh, people in the motion industry, typically agency owners. They're familiar, but haven't actually applied AI into their process. Sorry about the grammar, everybody. <laughs> What's great about uh, robots is they kind of figure out the context anyway. So your yes. grammar doesn't have to be perfect. Your spelling could be off. You can misquote somebody. It kind of already knows because it has a lot of context within the larger framework of its data set. All right. So now it says, great. Sounds like your audience has a basic understanding of AI, but they haven't yet integrated it into their workflows. When crafting your talk, consider focusing on the following points. Now, I'm not going to read everything because it's too much. What is generative AI? The potential of AI in motion graphics, real world examples, how to implement AI, addressing concerns. That sounds like a pretty good framework so far. Now, what are you going to do? Does this give you a good starting point for your talk? And I say, yes, um, that is great. Can you help me write the script? <laughs> okay, let's see what it does. And I'll read the AI's response here. It says, basically, I'd help you to craft your script for your talk. And here's a rough outline. There's an introduction. Start with a brief personal introduction and your connection to this topic. Share a startling fact, a short story, or a provocative question about generative AI to grab the audience's attention. State the purpose of your talk to explore the potential of generative AI in the motion industry. And then it goes with the body and the conclusion. It gives bullet points to each one of the main things. So it follows a very classic structure. If you've never given a talk before, this is actually quite excellent. This is things I talk to people about all the time. And so where do we go with this now? So uh, does this structure work for you? If so, we can start filling in each section with more details. So let's, wow. let's should, I, should we go ahead and ask? Yeah, say so yes, let's go. Yes, Proceed. let's go. Okay, it's describing the title. It, it's also telling you what each slide has. And so we'll see if this is actually any good. So I can now read this since the show made this bigger. It says, okay, let's dive in. The title of this talk is called Embracing the AI Revolution, A New Era for Motion Agencies. Not a bad title. And slide one, good evening, everyone. I'm here today to talk about a topic that's been making waves in our industry, generative AI. Now, I know what you're thinking. AI, that's for tech giants and data scientists, right? What does it have to do with us, the creatives, the storytellers? Well, as it turns out, quite a lot. 
AI isn't just about crunching numbers and automating tasks. It's about augmenting our creative capabilities, pushing the boundaries of what we can imagine and achieve. So slide four, generative AI in particular is a game changer. It's a type of AI that can create content from images to music to text, and yes, even motion graphics. Slide five, imagine having an AI assistant that can generate hundreds of design variations in the time it takes you to make a cup of coffee. Whoa. Or an AI that can animate complex scenes with just a few simple commands. Slide six. But it's not just about speed and efficiency. It's about exploration and innovation. With AI, we can explore design spaces that would be impossible for a human to navigate alone. We can discover new aesthetics, new narratives, new ways of engaging our audience. Now, I'm not going to read the rest. But again, if you were a novice speech writer and, and you didn't know how to give a keynote on this stuff, this is not bad at all. Yes. And then if you, if you want another one, you can just click refresh and then it'll, it'll give you another draft. Oh, I see. It's, it's, it's that simple. So the iteration process is really fun. And then you can go back in and say, hey, use this quote from this person or uh, use, use this uh, video script or something like that to influence the script. Yeah. Okay. It, it's, it's quite fun. Yeah. All right. While that's still crunching through and writing shows next talk, I think this is a good opportunity for us to kind of split away from this, <laughs> end this part of it yes. and, and kind of land this AI plane, if you will, via MidJourney or some other video-based AI generative tool. Okay, show. what do we want people to know about you and what you're doing and how they can possibly interact with you post this discussion? Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you are, if anybody is interested in training AI, we've been spending the last six years essentially training it on different brands and different individuals to behave the way that they want and to really help them get more things done. If you're interested in uh, signing up, you can go to our website, www.show.ai, where you can learn more about us and get started. Uh, but we're really here to uh, kind of handhold you through the process of building your best AI so you don't have to worry about mitigating any kind of risk or other things associated with it. We have a beautiful platform and a piece of software that uh, we're the first generative AI platform in the world. And we can't wait to see what people like Chris and yourself can do with it. It's exciting times. Wonderful. So if you can be curious long enough to explore these tools, I think you're going to be as excited as I am. And I, I want to end it on this reflection. I, I was at a conference in Newcastle and I was hanging out with Mr. Daniel Priestley. And of course, the question came up is like, how do you think AI is going to impact our industry? And I believe there were a bunch of marketers in the room. And he says, without a doubt, and he says very confidently, AI is going to be the source of generating billions of new money for people who embrace it. He says, the only problem is this money is not going to be distributed evenly. Mm. You need to think about that, everybody. Yeah. So when we flash forward to the future a few years from now, and we look back all, at all the new millionaires and billionaires who've incorporated or developed tools for or and somehow have added uh, layers to the tools that we already use today, are you going to count yourself amongst one of them or on the other side of that financial equation? I'm not here to tell you to be scared or to be afraid, but... I'm here to encourage you, hopefully inspire you and to open your minds a little bit about what you can do if you just stay curious. Show, thanks for doing this. Thanks for inspiring me personally on my own journey into mid-journey and what I think will be one of the most powerful tools 
that you're creating for us, which is to be able to scale my time, my knowledge across multiple platforms and to make it more accessible. I can't wait for this version to be out there in the wild and working, but also developing different models and training different things for all the needs that I need as an educator. Thanks very much, Joe. Thank you so much, Chris. Really appreciate you and really looking forward to embracing the future with you. I am Show Rust and you are listening to The Future. Thanks for joining us. If you haven't already, subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting app and get a new insightful episode from us every week. The Future Podcast is hosted by Chris Doe and produced by me, Stuart Schuster. Thank you to Anthony Barrow for editing and mixing this episode. And thank you to Adam Sanborn for our intro music. If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor by reviewing and rating our show on Apple Podcasts. It will help us grow the show and make future episodes that much better. Have a question for Chris or me? Head over to thefuture.com slash heychris and ask away. We read every submission and we just might answer yours in a later episode. If you'd like to support the show and invest in yourself while you're at it, visit thefuture.com. You'll find video courses, digital products, and a bunch of helpful resources about design and creative business. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.